you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians again, chapter 6. Many of you are probably wondering where Blake is today, and he's attending a family reunion out of state, a gathering that hasn't happened in a long time with that side of his family. So God's gracious timing has allowed him and Candace and the boys to be there, and I'll keep going in 2 Corinthians. For me, uh, going back to 2 Corinthians where I was two and a half years ago when I retired and Blake then stepped in, has also been a very encouraging and uh, quite an exercise. I realized again a, a new and deeper way when preparing last Sunday's sermon that this particular part of 2 Corinthians is an enlightening look into Paul's heart and his ministry as he tries to help these people clearly see the truth behind some very troubling issues. In many ways, these troubling issues are eerily similar to what we see in our day, which is why this particular first century church provides a unique window that can open our own eyes and seeing and understanding better what living for Christ as his ambassadors, should look like in 2023. And yet, while so many seem to constantly gravitate toward and look for answers in the new this and the latest that, Paul consistently explains the truth of the gospel and how they apply in everyday life. What I've been reminded of is that God's work of transforming his people happens over time in the very same way as his work always has changed people. He works the changes from the inside out. His indwelling spirit changes our perspectives on absolutely everything, all of life. And it usually doesn't all happen at once even though we may want it to. We can't just go to a class and immediately arrive on a plateau of maturity. Instead, he uses every situation to get our attention and to draw us closer to himself and into his word. We always seem to be learning in new ways how much we need to seek him. And part of that is finding out how much he empowers that whole process. We realize in so many ways that his promises are sure as we learn what they are and where they are and how they apply to knowing God. And you know what especially pleases the Lord? When we cry out humbly to him for his mercy and grace and desiring to know, love, serve Him, and other people. If you are able, would you please stand as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-10. through 10. be reading from the English Standard Version. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, quote, In a favorable time I listened to you, 
And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We can tell right off the bat that Paul does not underestimate, take for granted, or feel unduly burdened by the incredible calling and task of being appointed as one of the Lord's apostles. No gripes. No whining. How does he see it? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. The first part of verse 1 we read, working together with Him then, which means working in partnership with God. Deeply knowing the privilege that God has given him keeps Paul gratefully serving and trusting. Even in the extreme difficulties he faces in ministry, he knows that God will continue to provide him the grace he needs to keep caring and ministering and depending upon God. There's an amazing consistency here. So here at the beginning of this paragraph, he begins by sharing with his readers where his care for them comes from. And it's not from his own strength, personality, or his desire to succeed that he is doing all this. God has given him a calling in partnership with himself, which obviously still blows him away. God's mercy and grace to him in and through Christ is still the unbelievable story of his life. Yet he knows that it's true. So no matter how off these Corinthians are, or get, 
He will continue at whatever the cost to represent the Lord and deliver God's reconciling message of the gospel of Christ. He will declare, warn, appeal, implore, and lay out the truth, knowing that it is God who regenerates and works. Paul had written in the first letter that we have from him in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Knowing the reality that he, Paul, is actually working together with God in this ministry to proclaim his gospel of reconciliation in and through Christ, Paul, no matter what the responses of the people are, keeps on going on. The reality of God giving him this privilege is real, and it's enough for Paul so he leaves the results to the Lord. Anybody have trouble doing that? Does this mean he never gets down or discouraged or tired? No, but during those times, he has learned to focus on God and his grace and provision. The last half of verse 1, we read, We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, if you're wondering how this can fit with the message he's called to deliver, the gospel, and realize that many times when God is working in this mighty way, he delivers this message along with the gospel of grace. This means that the people who had heard the message of reconciliation that Paul had faithfully delivered, those people should not turn away from the gracious opportunity that God gave them. Think the Corinthians are hearing this? Remember that Paul's ministry did not include knowing the truth about each and every heart that heard the message. Nobody knows other people's hearts, really. Least of all us, knowing ourselves that way. What was going on in this church, though, gave evidence that many folks had either never truly believed or that they were being lured away from the truth. And he knew from the way so many were behaving, or that they were being lured away in ways that some other people were involved in influencing them. He knew from all that that God's plan of reconciliation, gracious, gracious reconciliation in and through Christ, was not being taken seriously by some. So he does what? He warns them. In verse 2, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 49, verse 8. And this whole section there in Isaiah is about God's promised servant, who is our Lord, Jesus Christ, who would preach the word to Israel and the Gentiles and then give his life for them, which is covered also in Isaiah, in the next couple of chapters after that. In other words, what is this saying? 
The time of anticipating this servant, the saving Messiah, was over. Paul is now part of the time the work of salvation has been accomplished in the person and work of Jesus. So the time of fulfillment has come. It is here. So he writes, Behold, this is not the quote from the Old Testament. This is Paul. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And this is a challenge that every one of those Corinthians was reading or hearing, and this is also a challenge that we should not ignore. Now we get to go through a very unusual and very helpful section in which Paul lays out, and here's the key, from his heart, the qualities of true ministry, in which he gives a truthful picture of his ministry mainly with Timothy. In fact, right after these verses, if you look at verse 11, he writes this, that he and Timothy have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And then he says, our heart is wide open. This doesn't happen very often in letters. Paul did it a lot in this one with a very difficult group of people. Remember that what he explains here will be pretty much the opposite of what the false teachers in this church have done and emphasized, which should become apparent to them especially. We have a lot to learn from this, this description. Each quality is an attempt to categorize the descriptions that Paul lists. So we'll go one description at a time. And there are several ways to categorize verses 3 through 10. So I'm going to go with what made most sense to me. In other words, you can break it down, this list, in several ways in order to see and understand it better. So have at it. But right now, we'll just go one thing at a time. I have a hard time moving around there. Let's look at Paul's list and see if about six main qualities of ministry emerge from this text. I'll run through them quick here and then go over and over them as we go through it. First is a genuine concern for those being ministered to. That's in verse 3 and the first part of verse 4. Second is the endurance necessary to carry on and keep going as you minister to others. That's in the last half of verse 4 and verse 5. Third is the character those ministering must have. That's in verse 6. Fourth are the resources that God provides to make sure he is the one working through his servant. That's in verse 7. Fifth is the ability to rely on God's assessment, God's assessment of all the parts of ministry. Verses 8 and the first half of verse 9. 
And sixth is knowing and being okay with the paradoxical nature of the life of ministering, which is the last half of verse 9 and 10. Now there's one word for each of these. Each one of these can, can be categorized that way. So if you just get this, and then we'll explain it, it'll, it'll get there. Concern, endurance, character, resources, assessment, and paradox are the words you'll be hearing the rest of the sermon. Well, what's your first impression of this description of the qualities of ministry? Honestly, ask yourself, what's your impression? Mine was, honestly, wow, this is honest, this is real, with no hidden agendas, and knowing how to trust in and depend on the Lord in every area of life is absolutely necessary. Who can do this? Well, only the one who has learned and is still learning to depend on God. And trust Him in those situations. Which is something all of us learn over and over, literally hundreds of millions of times. So let's dive in. The first quality is a genuine concern for those being ministered to. Kind of important. Concern and care for the people you're ministering to. He writes, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Those false teachers were not only tearing him apart personally, they were doing the same thing with everything he was doing. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was to clear up their misunderstanding of why he had to change his earlier plans about coming in person to see them. Paul explained all this in this letter back in chapter 1 and also in chapter 4. This was a big deal. They had completely misunderstood why he couldn't come when he said he would. And they were mad about it. And they denigrated him for it. But he explained it well in, as we started off 2 Corinthians a long, long time ago. So that they would recognize that he had acted with complete integrity. And nobody enjoys having to explain something like this. It's something we agonize over. We try to figure it out. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We want to make it right. We don't want to look like we're boasting. Get that? And when we, if we were trying to do that, we know someone was really counting on us, being able to follow through with that effort to come, and then that didn't happen. This is, this is, a big issue. But because genuine, sincere love follows 
right in line here, an especially important production of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this kind of love is not a kind of busy fussiness over somebody else, which a lot of times in the world we live in can be mistaken for genuine love. When the person being messed over is tired of being messed over, and they can tell that you're just doing it so that you can get something out of it yourself. And notice what we see on television advertisements all the time about helpful organizations that do a lot to help a whole lot of people. They always interview somebody that's doing it, and almost every time it's like, well, it makes me so feel good in some form or fashion. Is that the real motivation? Uh Uh-uh. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 14, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what Paul says after he wrote another list of Christian qualities in that letter. And in our letter, in chapter 5, verse 14, Paul explains it's the love of Christ which controls and motivates him in his whole life. And then John just nails it. We love because he first loved us. That's the real reason. So first is a genuine concern. Second quality is endurance needed. Third quality is the character needed. The fourth quality is the resources that God provides to make sure the one working, to make sure that he's the one that's working through the servant. Notice what he says in verse 7. By truthful speech and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Do you see anything here about communication techniques, physical resources? Nope. That doesn't mean they aren't important, just that they're not of primary importance. In other words, what's emphasized is the primary importance of understanding what we do give, the message, and ourselves. We represent Christ, we deliver his message. This is not an either or, both of those are necessary together. And our speech, which is what we say, must be true, it must be truthful. Nothing will undermine the message of the gospel more than the messenger being untruthful, not completely truthful, with a reputation for compromising the truth, trying to bait somebody into hearing something, and then they find out that's not what you're really talking about. All those strategies are not really up front. Personal integrity is vital. Even if we're hated, especially if we have the attitude of Christ as we speak, it'll get through. It'll be remembered. God uses the truth proclaimed in powerful ways when communicated in the love of Christ for the people or the person that we're addressing. You can't learn how to do this if you're on your phone 24 hours a day. Kids can't learn how to do it if they're not ever seeing it. If they don't ever hear it. 
The last half of this verse, in verse 7, points out the spiritual warfare that comes with our calling. Paul's being honest, is he not? He's not hiding anything here. Paul characterizes these weapons instead of identifying them. Did you notice that? He doesn't say what exactly they are. And since the Lord himself used scripture when Satan attacked him, it must be important for us to gird ourselves for these battles the very same way. And since each hand is mentioned as employed in this endeavor, we must understand that these spiritual battles may come from any and all directions. In chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, Paul does explain this more. So if you look ahead a little, we read this, 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Good thing to hear in an election year coming up. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Trying to be clever in these situations is futile and dangerous. Major on what you know is absolutely true about God and yourself. Anything that relegates Jesus to be less than what the Word of God says, you can count on as being shifting sand. Trust in who you know the Lord is and what He has accomplished and why He had to accomplish it. If you do, you're standing on the rock and you're not in this battle alone. So, concern, endurance, character, resources. The fifth quality is the ability to rely on God's assessment of all parts of the ministry. And this really hits home with Paul and his situation. But it's good for all of us. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, we read in verse 8 the first part of verse 9. The world's attitude towards those who belong to the Lord can be almost anything. But if the children of God are looking for the approval of the world and those who don't believe in Him, then they are already in a very dangerous place. We should not expect to be honored, praised, thought well of, admired, or respected. And if that's where you are, then you are living in the fear of man. Instead, we should be able to know the Lord so well that if any disappointments will, that any disappointments will not ruin us and our perspective and disposition and faith. That's where we're shooting. That's on the path we should be on. And if our work, our neighborhood, our recreation, our hobbies, our schooling, etc., in all of that, we, if we're recognized for achievement and excellence, and compassion and helpfulness and kindness, etc., we should thank the Lord for using us that way. 
and then make sure we are grateful to our King, keeping our heads screwed on and our hearts humble. It's the only way I could think of saying that. In other words, the only assessment or opinion that really matters is the Lord's. So, easy to say, but you know what? It's hard to consistently really believe. And this is where our real knowledge of Him and His Word is seen. When the truth about Him and what He's done for us becomes less important than serving some other desire inside of us, then that other desire becomes an actual, functional God in our hearts. Paul is driving home every part of this description of true ministry in order to reflect the importance of what God has called him to do as an apostle. And as he does so, his readers should not only be convinced of his calling and integrity, but also be realizing much more clearly who it is they are in Christ and what God must think of their own attitudes towards the man the Lord called to bring the gospel message to them. And as we read and hear this, since each of us is called as God's ambassador to our little part of the world, we should be applying these truths to our own lives as well. Can we, do we rely on God's assessment of the ministry or calling as ambassadors we have in the world he's placed us in? Does this encourage us in living for Christ before those around us? It doesn't give us an excuse to do things wrongly and to be abrasive, etc., etc. And some people will give us advice that's not very good. It's not saying just don't listen to anybody. It's saying listen to people that know God and are going in the direction you are, but it's God's assessment that counts. One left. Concern, endurance, character, resources, assessment, and now it's knowing and being okay with the paradoxical nature of the life of ministry. I've never seen this listed before. It's talked about a whole lot, but I've never seen it in a list, except here. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making rich, many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. This really sums it up. Paul opens his heart to share so much of what he goes through every day. So thankful he wrote this letter, that God inspired it, and by doing so brings to bear on each one of us what is really important and what is really not. In other words, this sums up the truth that we read many other places. I'm not saying you look like one, but we are aliens and strangers in this world. And that our real innermost calling is to know God and enjoy Him forever. That always bothered me. How do you enjoy God all the time when He lets stuff happen and, you know, all this discipline and learning that's hard and growth and all that? Well, have you heard it today? 
on this earth and in this life now is where our faithful God prepares us for an eternity with him. God has chosen to reveal himself in his creation and in and through his son. What a privilege we have to be able to know and have a relationship with Almighty God, our Creator. It's a privilege for us to actually be used by Him to share the message of reconciliation to a lost and enslaved and hurting world as we live in it with the lost. Amongst the lost. This is obviously a picture of living with an entirely different perspective on life and what's really important. Is it not? It speaks to our purpose for being here. It changes our outlook and desires and affections and attitudes towards just about everything. It puts meaning and some real meat into what it means to know God and enjoy Him forever we start finding out how much bigger God is than we ever imagined. How much more gracious He is towards us than we ever thought. How patient He really is with us. How much He truly loves us in and through the person and work of His Son He sent to save us and to make a part of His own family. Our humility grows, our trust grows, our gratitude grows, our dependence upon Him grows, and in it all, our love and care for others grows with it. Because we've tasted the very real saving grace and love that Christ has given us. So we cry out to God quicker for His work and grace and direction and deliverance. Our prayers change the focus of our hearts. Our confidence changes from being in and of ourselves to being in Him where it belongs. We worship throughout the day because we've truly grown to love Him. He's the one that we can count on. He's proved it, and every day we're more grateful for His abiding presence in us and with us. Let's close in prayer, and I'll close with an amen for all of that. Bow our heads. Oh, Lord, we ask you today to continue to work in us, even right to the finish line, that you will bless us and keep us and watch over us and make us alive to you. Make your words bright and shining with life and rich meaning and deep with hope powerful and transforming us. We ask you these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and we ask it thanking you that you are faithful to do all that you have promised. Amen.